one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father, who is over all, in all, and living through all. However, he has given each of us a spiritual gift through the generosity of Christ. That is why the scriptures say, when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. Notice that it says he ascended. This clearly means that Christ also descended to our lowly world. And the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens so that he might fill the entire universe with himself. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. This is the word of the Lord. And y'all say, thanks be to God. All right, let's practice that again. This is the word of the Lord. Oh, that sounds so good. That's the way it's supposed to sound. Go ahead and be confident. You know what to say. <laughs> All right. Um, so, anything that stands out to you of what we have learned from the first three chapters of Ephesians? Don't everyone talk at once. I feel like the veil being torn was a, is a really big showing it's open for everybody now. Yeah. That was always a big thing for me. Yeah. That apocalypse, the revelation, Paul's revelation, and that's his eyes were unveiled um, when Christ revealed himself to him, and, and that is now open to everyone for us to have. That's good. That was something that in this reading it really kind of stuck out to me. Someone else? That was the end of chapter 2. Yeah, Anthony spoke on that. I love that. <coughs> we are a holy temple. Individually, we house the Holy Spirit. And corporately, as well. When we get together, this is the temple of God. Right here, we're all gathered. There's lots of poetic pieces that stuck out to me, like in chapter 1, and uh, there's, <laughs> there's beautiful prayers and blessings in each of those three chapters, um, but Paul's sp uh, prayer for spiritual growth that um, Shelby uh, taught on last time was so beautiful at the end of chapter 3. 
And may you have the power to understand, as all people should, God's people should, how wide and how long and how high and how deep his love is. And may you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to fully understand. That's something that you could just sit with for a long time, thinking about the love of God and how big it is. Okay? Anything else? There's so much, isn't there? There really is. It's kind of... It's kind of hard to pick one thing, but hopefully as you encounter Philippians, I mean Ephesians, whatever book we're studying, uh, (laughs) Ephesians in the future, that you will think back on this time that we've had and kind of um, start building layer upon layer. That seems to be the way when you study God's word, you learn one thing and then you layer and layer and it's just kind of this never ending process. Um, So, tonight, we are going to get into the second half. So, we're at the halfway mark, and um, starting out with chapter four, uh, I included for you in your notes, and we're going to be flipping a lot, and I'm going to be asking you to help me read passages, other places where Paul is talking about some of... The things that he talks about in these 16 verses, he talks about in a lot of his other letters in different ways. So it's kind of probably sounds familiar to you, and we're going to be referencing um, several other places where he talks about these things. But um, I included for you in the first um, first part in chapters 1 through 3. Hello. Come on in. How are you? Good. Uh, chapters 1 through 3, um, Paul, uh, he, he basically does three things. He develops the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He uh, takes us into uh, what, um, remember I had shared with you this book that I'm, I'm kind of using. This guy, Daryl Johnson, did a great um, deep dive into Ephesians. And he calls the first three chapters an alternate Uh, alternative reading of reality so now that uh, we have it's like this whole other reality that Paul is describing to the Gentiles and the Jews um, of life with Christ and what that looks like and and what that love uh, that we are being called to looks like it also celebrates the wonder of being in Christ. So that's what the first half of the the book does. And now in the second half of the letter, what we're going to do, Paul is going to then develop the everyday implications for this gospel. He's going to take us into everyday dynamics of living the alternate reality. Like this is where the nitty, uh, the rubber meets the road or the nitty gritty happens. Um, and Paul is also going to call us to walk to the walk of being in Christ. So the first part was kind of theological, and this is going to be more practical in a way. Okay, um, which means there's going to be it's going to be real easy to just discuss it. And so I'm going to be asking a lot of questions tonight, and kind of getting a lot of your feedback. Um, so one of the things that I learned from this. Um, gentleman Daryl Johnson is he kind of had a little bit of a problem saying the second half of Ephesians is application because um, he said that was troublesome because it puts the weight 
on us. Okay, now we know what to do. Now I'm going to go do it. I'm going to, I am going to apply it to my life. And he said, um, uh, apply kind of puts that weight on us and it, and the responsibility is our making, whereas, and it's making our lives the main issue. But for three chapters, Paul has been helping us see that the things have changed in the universe. And because of life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus, we are now living in a whole new understanding of reality. And the point of the very first word of um, chapter three, therefore, is to now live in that reality. It's not something we apply. It's not like uh, do these 10 steps and you will live a successful life. No, this is a whole new reality that we're going to be called into. And so it's more of a, a walk than an application. It's just this is the way we're going to be living now. Okay. Um, and so I thought that was good because um, it is a little bit of a distinction to understand um, and uh, really understand what Paul was trying to say in the first three chapters. So we're going to go through this passage, and I want you to keep two things in mind. I want you to think, how does this apply to me, and how does this apply to, like, these people in this room? Let's, let's say this is a microcosm of Flag Church tonight. It's a, it's a representation of the body of believers at Family Life Assembly of God, okay? And so how does this apply to me personally in my everyday life away from this setting? But also, how does it apply as me being a member of family? Okay? Because it applies to both. Everything that we're going to learn tonight applies to both. And it's always really important when you read scripture to have um, love God, this relationship, but also this relationship. And that's exactly what Paul is calling us to, okay? So, uh, here we go. The um, verse 1. Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, okay? For you have been called by God. Now, I want to immediately... Switch to a different version, a different translation. The um, uh, new standard, revi new revised standard version says verse one as being, be I, I, Paul, beg you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling to which you have been called. And y'all are probably familiar with that wording. It's used in a lot of translations. So instead of, it's, it means the same thing. NLT says, I beg you to live a life, but it's just a little bit of a better image, I think, of I beg you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling, and that's what we're going to unpack here. So, um, therefore, the word, you know, that's always a really important word to pay attention to. Therefore, so everything that came before is so I've said all of this in the first three chapters. Therefore, I want you, I beg you, he says, to live in a manner worthy of your calling. Okay? Um, so this therefore, he says, was implicit in almost every verse of the previous chapters. So, for example, um, 
Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. This is chapter 1, verse 3. Therefore, live, uh, walk in a manner worthy of your calling. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Therefore, live in a manner worthy of your calling. And you can just kind of go on throughout all three um, chapters. Christ, who is our peace, has made both groups, Jews and Gentiles, into one, making the two into one new man. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, to live in a manner worthy of your calling, or to walk in a manner. Okay, so you can look back, and he has been leading up and saying, you know, everything, everything that I have said up until this point I want you to um, walk in this certain way. I want you to live your life according to this um, new reality that we have been, that he's been describing, okay? Um, the word walk or the word live in the NLT, it actually means like an entire lifestyle. That's for the blank there, entire lifestyle. And it's found seven different times in the book of Ephesians, the exact same verse. And I, just, I think I listed them there for you, didn't I? Yep. Just for your reference. It's found seven times. So he is he's showing us how to walk in this new reality that he's um, explained. Um, I'm going to read kind of a, a, a quote, a kind of a longish quote. But it kind of puts a point on this, and this is from this book by Daryl Johnson. He said, the true application of the gospel to our lives is to move out of our, li out of our lives and into the life of the triune God. Triune meaning Trinity, God, Spirit, Father. I mean, Father, Spirit, Son, okay? We're going to now live our life as part of this multifaceted God. Somehow we get the idea that we can be blessed with every spiritual blessing of the heavenly places in Christ, okay? We've read about that. That we can be made alive in Christ, right? We've read about that. Um, we can be raised up with Christ. We can be seated in Christ in the heavenly places and that we can be filled up to all the fullness of God, all of these things we've been reading about and keep on living the way we were living. We want our cake and eat it too. Um, how could that possibly be the case, he writes. It is time to walk a new walk and realize this new reality into which you have been called, understand it, and move in it. Walk in a manner worthy, okay? Worthy of your calling, what does the word worthy mean? It means... Something is worthy because it fits, all right? This phone case is worthy of my phone because it, it fits. I don't know if y'all have ever bought the wrong phone case and it doesn't fit and it's like, this is not worthy and you take it back or you throw it away or whatever. Um, something is worthy because it fits. So when he is saying walk in a manner worthy, it means you need to, your life needs to line up with who this new reality, who you are now in Christ. Um, walk in a way that is congruent with your calling. So what is this calling that Paul is calling us to? Well, we're about to find out. It's two things, all right? 
Our calling is both to unity and maturity. Okay, and we're going to unpack the first unity in the first six, six verses. Okay, so I'm going to skip around a little bit in how we tackle this, and then we'll go back and kind of unpack it a little bit slower. But the first worthy of the calling that Paul calls us to is unity. In verse 4, what does it say? For there is one body, one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. Okay? One, one, one. Unity means one. Verse 5, there is one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. Okay? We're going to unpack all of these ones in just a minute. Verse 6, there is one God and Father, Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Do you think he's trying to make a point here? <laughs> Do you see the repetition? This is why uh, Ephesians is such a beautiful book to read because it's very um, elegant in its design. And he did this on purpose to um, really make a point. To walk in balance in this new reality in this new life that he's calling us to is to walk in unity under all of these ones that we'll go back in just a minute and uh, unpack that. All right, so we, we tackled verse 4, 5, and 6. Let's go back up to verse 3. Okay, so how should we approach this unity? Verse 3 is real easy. Somebody tell me how we should approach this unity. Okay. Right. Making ourselves, make every effort to be united and bound in peace with, with each other. Okay? In unity. All right. Is that easy? I don't know about you. We raised three children. And, you know, being part of a family is tricky. It's difficult. Even in the best of times, you can have glimmers. You can have glimmers of a united front where all is well. But most of the time, there's low-grade tension. <laughs> it just is what it is. That's just part of it. Because you have all these humans, and you put them in close contact with each other. And um, sometimes it's very difficult to make every effort to be united in peace. Okay, especially on a Wednesday night after Halloween and everyone's tired and grumpy and over sugared and underfed and you know it just it, there's just some tricky times all right it's the same with the church and that's why he's saying okay you guys are gonna have to make an effort this is not gonna come easy it's just not the way human nature is he understood that all right. Um, so can we, but can we create that? No way. Um, our calling isn't to gut up this unity, this sense of a unity uh, among ourselves to muster up our ability on our own. No way. Let's go back to verse two. I'm, I'm doing these all out of order, aren't I? Uh, verse two says, always be humble and gentle and be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. 
okay? So in verse 3 it says, make every effort to unite yourselves in the Spirit. Okay, we're going to need the Spirit not only for peace, but also to give us what in verse 2? Love, humility, patience, grace, absolutely, and gentleness. Those are the things, humility, gentleness, patience with each other, making allowance because of your love. All of those things are a gift of the Spirit's grace in our life. Okay? So we can't do that on our own, and understanding that is going to go a long way um, and kind of cut down on some frustration. Paul knew that in dealing with, okay, think about it. This is a, a microcosm. If we were stuck in here for a couple weeks with, with limited resources and entertainment and kind of stress, we would have to practice. We would have to make every effort to live in unity. Okay? And it's the same with even, even better circumstances than what I described. Um, okay, so the, the Spirit is going to help us. Thank goodness he left his Holy Spirit for us to be what we can't on our own. Um, okay, so our role is to make every effort to maintain this manner of walking with what the Spirit has united. And how are we going to do that? Okay, we're going to do that as one body. Let's back up where I said we're going to unpack all these ones. As one body. Um, Daryl Johnson says this, There are many expressions of church, but the reality is there is finally only one body of Christ. Okay? Many expressions, one body of Christ. All who belong to Jesus Christ together constitute his body. So it's like you've heard it described as the big C church, the big global church, and lots of little expressions of that church. Our church doesn't look like Pitt Naz, but we serve the same Christ, the same God. Um, and you can kind of go from there to explain that. We may not agree with everyone who belongs to Christ. We may not like everyone who belongs to Christ, but be that as it may, the reality is Christ has only one body. And walking worthy of being included in his body means being zealous to maintain the unity of his one body, okay? Um, we've come to a situation in our culture where Disunity among Christians is more popular and more famous than the unity of the body of believers. And it's, it's heartbreaking. And I know it must break the heart of the father to see his children acting that way. And it's basically because um, as a whole, more individuals are walking disunified, not in a manner worthy of their calling. Okay? We have to all walk in a manner worthy of our calling in order to be the witness to the world that reveals Jesus Christ and what he stands for. Um, 
So what helps us to live humbly and gently and patiently as one body? What helps is the one spirit, the Holy Spirit. So possibly there's a lot of people not living under the complete submission to the one spirit. Um, trying to walk as a Christian except only bits and pieces of it and only in my, I'm going to control my life. Um, uh, let's read, let's flip over now. We're going to start flipping. Colossians 3. This is another, uh, it's uh, two letters to the right of Ephesians. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Colossians 3. Paul wrote it. And um, would someone read verses 12 through 15 for me? Okay, Nate, thank you. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and Does that sound familiar? It's, it's kind of a, even better than the one in Philippians expression of what I think the same heart that he's trying to, to say there in uh, Ephesians. Um, perfect harmony. Bind us in perfect harmony. Let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. Um, one hope. That's the next thing that we are told Jesus is now the head, and our reality is reordered under him. And because of that, we have hope. We have hope of eternal life. We have hope to be able to live an abundant life here and now in the kingdom that is now. Um, we all have that one hope, and that's because Jesus is now the head. As one Lord who has one faith and this is the faith in the one lord this is what binds us together in unity is not my faith it's not your faith um it's not all of our faith put together but what binds us in unity is the one faith of the one lord it's jesus's faith in his father all right because we, he has given that, and that is planted in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. That's what binds us all together. Is not our own faith, but the faith that Christ demonstrated on earth and then now has passed on to us through the Holy Spirit. So even our faith we are dependent on our Father for. Okay? Which, when unity seems something, I mean, our world is at war. Literal war. Families are at war. People are at war with themselves internally. And um, peace may seem like something that is far, far, far out there and just a pie in the sky and unattainable. But those of us under the headship of Jesus, he, we are given everything we need for peace. And that peace is what binds us together. One God and Father who is overall which is sovereign over everything, everyone, 
He's through all, which means he's active in everyone. I think there's some blanks there. Am I going too fast? Huh? Am I? Okay. In all. And so this means that our God and Father is seeking intimacy with everyone. So he's overall, through all, and in all. That gives me peace. Knowing, you know, it's kind of like hiding behind your mama. It's like, oh, she said so. I can't do that because she said, like, her last word, his last word, my dad, his last word is it. He's in all, through all, and over all. This is the unity that we are called to walk worthy of. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father. I skipped baptism, didn't I? I know I had that in my notes somewhere. Oh, there it is. It's on, it's on verse three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, one baptism. I want to read a, a, a passage to you real quick. 1 Corinthians 12. Do I have that noted beside there? If I don't, write that down. Write this down because this is good. I'm going to read it real quick. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 and 13. Uh, Paul, he, he repeats himself in a lot of his letters. Um, okay, I'm going to read 12, which is going to relate to what we're going to read in a minute. 13 is really according to the, about the one baptism, but I'm going to read both because it, this whole passage is about um, the parts of the body. Verse 12, the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, some are free. But we all have been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. Okay? So Jesus' baptism, his example that he left for us, we are now, that unifies us. We all experience the same baptism that Jesus did. And that's only just another unifying factor. If you want to go ahead and go on and read this sometime in your quiet time, if you want, all the way to, um, all the, way to the end of this chapter, um, 31. So 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 31 is very similar to Ephesians 4. And you can read more about that on your own time. I'm not going to take time to do that. Okay? Any questions about the first six verses in unity? You get the idea that it's important? Paul was stressing something. Because if you think about it, I mean, he, he is walking through this church that is very disunified. It has the Jews and the Gentiles. Those, that's just on the surface. Um, very different people groups, ethnic backgrounds, cultures, the way they do family, the way they do holidays, the way they do everything is very different, very, very different. And so it was really important for him to stress this and lay a foundation of why unity and what that was going to look like, why that was such a critical piece in the church. It also is very much the heart of Christ. Um, the heart of God. If you'll remember in uh, chapter 1, verse 10, it's the whole plan of, of, of God. It's the whole reason he sent Jesus is to bring all people to him, 
all ethnic groups under one unified in under one um, group and Jesus is the head okay so second part we're gonna go through okay we walk in unity and then we walk in maturity but before we do that yes sir I have one question uh, I'm sorry I didn't catch the word no this one baptism you think that's talking about water or uh, spiritual baptism baptism in the spirit by Jesus yes <laughs> yeah exactly I do think it's both I, I sure do um, it would make sense that it's both especially with all the um, references to one spirit um, I think it's the physical baptism the water baptism but I also think it's the baptism of, of the spirit and um, I think both of those is what he's talking about. What do you think, Jay? I think he's talking about uh, baptism in the spirit, but I think you could you could both they both. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously, it's funny because I've been baptized twice because I was baptized as a baby, you know. Some of the commentators that I read on this verse, um, kind of, they were, t um, there was some confusion about, oh, well, I've already been baptized by John. Will that work? And there was a little bit, you know, of confusion about whose baptism sticks and who's more important and that kind of thing. I read just one, one guy who said that, but um, to me, especially when you go back and <laughs> reference it in First uh, Corinthians, and he's talking about through one spirit, it feels like it's both. He's drawing in because John didn't baptize in the spirit, but that is the uh, manifestation of the spirit came when Jesus was baptized, and that happens for um, everyone following after, okay? All right. Maturity. He calls us to maturity, and that's what the rest of this passage is uh, talking about. Very practical, very, we could apply it, but we're not going to use that word, right? We're going to use um, uh, our, the way that we live, rather, is we live in a mature fashion and we want to grow up into maturity. So before we get into really maturity, um, let's also stress that, especially getting into the next few verses, the unity created by the Holy Spirit is not about uniformity. Right? I've heard Pastor Anthony say that before, I think. Uniformity is means, it, well, just look at this room. We're not all uniform. We don't live our lives exactly the same way. We don't live our choices the same way. We don't have to be like robots and clones of one another. Um, however, we do have a unifying head. And the Spirit of God and the headship, we are under the authority of Christ, and we share the same spirit, and we, um, we make choices based on what the spirit tells us, and we always strive for unity in the body. So that we could do a whole series on how that manifests itself in the church. Um, 
and how we demonstrate love to one another uh, in that way. But anyway, so don't, don't think we're saying that unity means uniformity. Um, it's extremely vital that we understand that. Within unity, there is always God-given diversity. Um, diversity uh, or unity and maturity, though, go hand in hand. Okay, that's what Paul is trying to stress here. Disunity is a sign of immaturity. Okay? So as we walk in and, I mean, as we go further and talk about how mature Christians are supposed to act or are called to act in this way that's worthy of our calling, just understand that disunity will always be present where, there are, where there's a great amount of immaturity. Okay, that's just going to be part and parcel for it. So, verse 7, let's get going. Here we go. Um, However, he has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. Okay, this word give, Jesus has given and is very generous, is used three different times in this passage. In verse 7, verse 8, it uses it again, and then in verse 11. So Jesus so wants us to live in unity that he already created that he gives gifts to us to make it all work, okay? It's a variety of gifts to bring about a creative diversity within creative unity, okay? Does that make sense? I'm going to say it again. Jesus gives us a variety of gifts to bring about a creative diversity, within the created unity that he has set up. Nothing would get done if we all had exactly the same gifts. Um, it's, diversity is very much needed. Think about if your body was made up of um, elbows. Well, you wouldn't get a lot of things done. If your whole body was made up of hair, <laughs> You know, that, that's a silly kind of example, but you need a, a physical body needs all the different parts in which to work. And we're going we're gonna to see that um, image come to life here in a little bit. Um, Ephesians 4, 17, you might document this under verse 4, I mean verse 7. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. So... Each and every one of us who Jesus has called to himself has been given grace to function in and contribute to a new society Jesus is bringing about in the world. We have all, every single person in this room has been graced by Jesus to be full partners with him in the kingdom of God. Isn't that great? When you say yes to them, he has special gifts waiting for you, Jeff. Like when you said yes, he's like, good. I've got just this, this, I've got this package ready to be given to Jeff or to Sergio or to Don. Like unique, unlike to any other person. He's just waiting for us to say yes to him so we can get to work in his kingdom and do things for him to um, uh, show the world who Christ is. Um, all right, it says that 
This was done in generosity. Jesus is so generous. That is why the scriptures say, then in verse 8, it goes on to say, that's why the scriptures say, and for, for in my Bible, this is set apart. Okay, so that typically means when you're studying the Bible, that usually means that it's quoting someplace else in the Bible, usually in the Old Testament. Okay, so verse 8, that is why the scriptures say, when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. Okay, um, in your Bibles, where does that say that verse is found? Psalm 68, verse 18, all right? Would someone read that real quick? Okay. Put your God as a conqueror marching to the gates and taking tribune from the fallen city. Paul uses that picture to teach that Christ in his, resur in his crucifixion and resurrection was victorious over Satan. That's probably not the verses, but explanation. Sorry. I, that's okay. I was like, okay, that sounds like a great explanation. <laughs> I love it. He did break it down. Somebody look up Psalm 68, 18. That, that actually stole my thunder. <laughs> there's, there's a couple of words that are different, and sometimes you'll find that when you look up stuff in the Old Testament. They'll be just a little bit different. And usually it's because there's a New Testament spin on it and it's changed a little bit because of Jesus. And that's exactly what happens in this verse. So anybody got it? You have ascended on high, you have led captives away. You have received gifts from men, even the rebellious, that the Lord God may dwell there. Wonderful. It says you have received gifts. And in Ephesians it says, and he gave gifts. All right, so that's just a little tweak, but it's like, wait a minute. The king received gifts, but in, in this version it says he gave gifts. And this is what Daryl says. I thought that was, it was really good. What conquering kings took as spoil from their enemies, so they would go in and they would invade a country and they would take the spoils, okay? The kings would then often give to their own people. So Paul is drawing this out in light of the, victory won in and by Jesus. The triumphant conqueror both received and gave gifts. The risen and ascended Christ receives gifts when he is seated on his throne, but true to his generous nature, he then gives us those gifts. So Jesus descended, he conquered, he brought back with him his full birthright into heaven and then he has all these spoils of that kingdom ready to be unleashed on his world in unending supply. Does that make sense? Isn't that cool? Yeah. So that's just a little, um, that's what Bible study does when you kind of like take the time to look it up and then kind of read what smarter people than me have to say about it. It's like, oh, that's neat. I, I don't know if I would have just notice that if I'd have looked it up in Psalms so okay here we go um so verse 9 notice that it says he ascended this clearly means that Christ also descended to our lowly world and the same who descended is the one who ascended descend means come down ascend means go up ascended higher than all the heavens so that he might fill the entire universe 
with himself. All right, verse 9 and 10, what greater accomplishment was achieved after Jesus descended? He was in heaven, he descended, and then what was the bigger accomplishment listed here? Yeah, he goes back up and he's greater than ever before. His presence, Jesus basically, now fills the entire universe with himself. I mean, I, I, that made me sit and scratch my head a minute. I had to think about that. The Jesus that we serve that is over the church that unifies us and gives us all these wonderful gifts, like his very self, fills the universe. That's pretty cool. I don't know. That's really cool. Okay, verse 11. Now, <clears throat> to make all this work, there's going to be support gifts. So let's read about them. Now, these gifts, these are the gifts Christ gave the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers... Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. Okay, so this verse is often translated um, uh, Christ gave some as apostles or as prophets, which suggests roles or functions. But Paul right here is thinking more about people, not jobs. So the gifts Jesus gives to the one body to help him work everything out are actual people. They're not divorced from their, their um, role. So he gave some apostles, some evangelists, some teachers. This is not the only, this is not an exhaustive list of the gifts, okay? There are several other places in the New Testament where Paul actually list the gifts and we're not going to have time to get into those but don't be afraid or don't be concerned I guess if you don't relate to any of these all right um I think I, I gave you this to uh fill in the blank apostles is the first one and what apostles do is lay the theological foundation for the church prophets reveal fresh revelation for each new challenge the church is facing. Okay, all of these gifts are for the church. Some to be evangelists, and these people are gifted in bringing the good news to those who've never heard it, bringing people to Christ. Pastors, their job is to shepherd and teachers. They are the ones that keep bringing the one body back to the, the truth of the one gospel. Okay? There's a variety of ways these can manifest in people's lives, okay? You don't have to be Paul and look like Paul to be an apostle, okay? You don't have to look like Anthony or act like Anthony to be a pastor, okay? God gives us all kinds of gifts to do his good work, and it just takes some curiosity and openness to figure out what it is and God is more than willing to reveal to to you what your gift is but the point of it is not so that 
you can get a better job at work. It's for the building up of the body. And that's what verse 12 says. Why has Jesus given some people to the one body? Well, it's equip God's people for two things. What are the two things in verse 12? To do his work and and build up the body of Christ, which is the church. Okay? So, where are all these gifts going? Verse 13. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will, here's where we're finally getting to the point, mature, all of these gifts were made to build up the body, to do the work. You know what the work is of the body? is to grow in Christ-likeness, to be spiritually formed by the Holy Spirit so that we can do the work, that we can walk in a manner worthy of our calling. Yeah, this will continue until we come the unity of our faith and knowledge so we will mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Okay? This verse is a beautiful vision of what the church is to be, everything moving toward maturity. The word mature actually means tell teleos um, in Greek, which means complete, whole, and perfect. This word is related to telos, which means the goal or destiny. So our goal is to become like Christ, and that is when we will be mature. Now, that is a lifelong goal, okay? We will always have room for improvement. We will always, we wake up tomorrow, think that's so good that mercies are new every morning to meet us in the places that we still need to mature and grow. But we hopefully will be a little bit further down that that road and that walk with Jesus than we were the day before. Oh, thank goodness for grace if we go a couple steps backward. It's okay. Um, but um, to have this vision um, of maturity is what Paul was trying to teach them, that mature Christians are going to be unified Christians. So verse 14, here we go. We only have a couple more verses, and then we'll wrap up. Um, Verse 14, then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like truth. All right, so um, when we are built up in unity, we won't be like immature children. And what does immature children look like? What, is, what kind of picture does he describe here? Ooh, shiny. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, shiny, pretty, squirrel. <laughs> Distracted by all kinds of false teaching. We're tossed, oh, well, I'm going to be on this today. Oh, I'm going to be on this today and not solidly grounded in the truth. That's what children do. They run after things that catch their eye and distract them. But what does maturity look like? Verse 15, instead of being tricked by clever lies, instead we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head 
of his body, the church. Okay, so we have this very good picture of maturity and immaturity, what the two look like. Okay, and in verse 16, can we do this ourselves? No way. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Don't you see this picture? Use your, like, engage your imagination here at the end of this. And when he says, as each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing, full of love. This is that process. This is walking in a manner. We are growing, we are growing, we are growing. Hopefully, we are growing until the day we take our last breath and meet Jesus, right? That would be the end goal. But we will be able to grow into maturity so that this unity that he describes will be able to take place. Now, if we're all, okay, I'm getting ahead of myself. This is how we're going to wrap up, okay? Um, I'm not, I was going to, I'm just going to show you this from my phone because I don't want to take time because we're out of time. But I'm going to show you a really cute picture right here. This is my grandson, and this was his um, help, uh, costume that he went uh, to Mother's Day out. And he is dressed as his daddy. Okay. He has a little name tag that says Daddy, and he's uh, 27 months, so he's two. All right? And he's acting like his daddy, has his hands in his pockets, and he has a button down shirt on. And, all right, this is, this, is, this is Brooks. Now, Brooks's daddy is a banker. And uh, it's adorable that he wants to be like his dad. But could Brooks walk into Prosperity Bank and make a commercial loan? No. There's no way that his parents would expect him to, at two, be the level of maturity that would enable him to do that. So I, I want you to think of this idea of any children that you have in your life and think of the church, all right? You can have an 18-year-old who has loved Jesus, you know, um, since they were in third grade, be incredibly spiritually mature, and you could have a 50-year-old person who just came to know Christ, who is a baby Christian, who is like Brooks, going off to work. You would not expect the same out of these people. So I want you, as you read this in the future, I want you to think about the implications for the body of Christ. Do you understand? We are all just mashed in here together. We barely know each other's names. We found that out before much less where they're at spiritually, in their maturing process, in their formational process. We don't know, but we do know we are under one headship of Christ. We have the same baptism. We have the same spirit in us. And that's why those of us who may have known Jesus longer, Paul is like, make every effort to be 
humble and gentle. We gotta be patient with one another. You would never expect him to go out and do something that an adult would do. And the same holds for the body of Christ. We have to have this, the spirit of God in us to give us discernment in order to be in relationship with one another and in order to witness to the world. Now, what would be sad is if Brooks's dad, who is 32, was still sucking on a patsy. <laughs> that would be weird. That would be inappropriate. That would be, you know, or other kind of two-year-old behavior. But you know what? Paul talks about that all over the New Testament. Uh, I'm going to read real quick because this is really important. I want, I want to get this image in your head because it's something that I think will help you handle when you get irritated with your Christian brothers and sisters to be like, okay, I'm going to be patient and I'm going to stand on the side of unity instead of irritation, okay? Uh, Hebrews 5, 11 through 14. Let me read this real quick. It says, there is so much more we would like to say about this, but it's difficult to explain, especially since you are spiritually dull and don't seem to listen, okay? It's like he's talking to kids. You have been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you, about, again, about the basic things about God's word. You are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. Solid food is for those who are mature, who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. So that's just one place where, another place in the New Testament where this imagery of maturing, this is something that you can be reading for. Read for the places where the authors in the New Testament are encouraging you in your spiritual formation and how to deal with others. So remember, I said this is both individual and it's corporate. So I need to do the work in me so I can show up on Wednesday nights, on Sunday, and in my workplace and be a little bit more, you know, 24 hours more mature today than I was yesterday. So that we are building this unified picture for the world of what Jesus has called us to. Let's pray. Sorry I went a little bit wrong. Dear God, thank you so much for your word and the way that you uh, you love us so much and you are so kind to teach us the things. And that's what you said, that's what you said in John 14 that you're going to leave this Holy Spirit to teach you, teach us. You are going to teach us your ways and remind us of your, your life and what you stood for and what you call us to. So, Father, we just ask that we all strive tomorrow to live in a manner worthy of our calling, our calling to unity and to maturity, Lord. And we just thank, I thank you so much for that I'm a part of a body of believers who... Um, set aside time to study your word and to, to live your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right.